0: Let's get into it. The gospel reading for this week, the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to a hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I'm going to give a little disclaimer before I really get into the sermon. These passages are rough, and they include some very, very difficult things for people to hear, given the circumstances of our current society, our current societal norms, things of that nature. Now, it goes without saying... I don't really like these passages specifically when they get utilized as clobber verses in order for somebody to feel superior to someone else, like, look, I'm doing it right, you're doing it wrong. So if these passages have been used against you in that way, in any way, shape, or form, either by individuals or people within the church or the church itself, or in any way, shape, or form, I just want to acknowledge that, and I want to say I'm sorry that that trauma has been used against you. Having acknowledged that, I want to kind of put those back on the table now, and let's get into this. Let's get into this this passage. Let's get into this sermon. The first thing that I was thinking about in terms of this passage when I was really beginning to work on it over the course of this week working towards this sermon was I was thinking about the idea of hide and seek. Now, this is perhaps strange given what I've just said, but hide and seek is a game that at one time or another we probably all play. Especially if you're a parent, I'm sure you have played it with your kids. Now, I remember when my kids were very, very small, how easy it was for me to really be a rock star at hide and seek, especially the hiding part. Little kids are not that observant, and it's really easy to hide from them. I can remember countless times when I would go into the bathroom and I would just sort of jump up on the counter and and just stand back sort of next to the door, but up high. And they would come in and they would just look and they're down here low and they're not looking up. They don't think to look up. I'm literally right next to them and they don't see me. And it's really hard not to chuckle because you see how this goes. But the kids grow up and they become more observant and it gets a little bit harder. This makes me think of the times Uh, The times in in recent past when I would meet with high school kids for youth group type stuff here at the church, and we would do different things, and sometimes we would play hide-and-seek around the church. And let me tell you, as the person who's in the church, the majority of the time, I knew all of the good spots. But gradually, the kids were starting to find all these different spots and figure out where they were, and it was getting harder and harder and harder. Now, there was one time, this was my greatest moment of hide-and-seek. Downstairs in our church in the area where we kind of have education, there is a wooden altar, uh, similar to what you see behind me here, but but it's portable, and it's about three and a half feet wide, and it's probably about three feet tall, and it's maybe about two feet deep, and it's solid wood. It's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, you can move it, but it's pretty heavy. And it has always just sat shoved up against the wall in, in the basement. And I never really thought too much of it. I had walked by it countless times. But this one particular time, I got a wild hair in me as I was looking for a place to hide. And I I thought to myself, I wonder if I can move that. And I pulled it back and I discovered that the back side is actually open. It usually sits up against the wall, so you don't notice it, but the back side is open. And I was able to pull it out from the wall, crawl underneath, get inside it. I could fit. It was tight, but I could get it. And then I could, like, push up on the thing and move it back against the wall. And let me tell you, this was the greatest moment of hide-and-seek ever. I was hidden in this spot for more than 30 minutes. And I could hear the various high school kids walking by. And I could hear them wondering where I was at. And they knew I had gone somewhere they couldn't figure out. And I was just biting my finger to keep from laughing because it was so funny. And gradually, after a amount of time went by, I thought, I can't stay in here anymore. And I intentionally waited until they were back in the room and I pushed it out of the way and I emerged so they could see the brilliance of this hiding spot. But it also occurred to me that now they know it. Now there is nowhere for me to hide because they know all of the spots. I want you to tuck that in the back of your mind as we get into this passage. Now again, Jesus has been teaching about various things through this time known as the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off talking about blessings, calling individuals, calling types of people blessed, even though it's the polar opposite of what the world tends to think of as being blessed. And then he changes gears from talking about sort of generic type people. Then he zeroes in, and he's talking to his, to his audience, and he says, you— You are blessed. And then he starts talking about you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Go into this world and be different. From there, he kind of switches gears and he starts talking about this idea of righteousness. Now, righteousness is a big fancy church word that we throw around a lot. Sometimes I I wonder if people really know what it means. Sometimes I wonder if I really know what it means. But when I think about the idea of righteousness in the faith or church standpoint, it's the idea of being called right by God, being right in the eyes of God. Sometimes maybe we think about trying to measure up to God's expectations for us. Now, Jesus makes this statement. It's actually the very last verse right before our passage up today, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious elite, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of dire. But I think it's an important lead-in to what he's talking about here. Now, these statements that Jesus is making here, as well as if the, we would have continued on throughout more of, of the, the following verses here in Matthew, we would have heard him talk or we hear Jesus talk about items of the law. The, which would have been very commonly known and understood to his audience, to his Jewish audience. They were very familiar with the law. Now, in a nutshell, when we start thinking about the law, we think about the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses way, way back when, clear back in the book of Exodus, and, and the way that those those these these laws these 10 commandments whatever we want to call them they dictate the way that we live in relationship with one another and in relationship with between us and god now it goes without saying that these 10 commandments have been filled out. And then there is a whole bunch more teachings that Moses would go on to then reveal to the people. And in fact, we get a little snip of that in one of our other assigned readings, not this one, but some of the other things in which he reminds the the people of all of these laws, all of these things which help dictate how we enact those 10 commandments in the first place. Now, If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you might know that they kind of are aimed at the ways that we interact with one another and the ways we interact with God. And every single time I'm going through a confirmation class, we zero in on the Ten Commandments at one time or another. And we talk about these are what they say at face value. But I think what Jesus wants us to know and what we're revealing in this passage here, as well as some of the expanded part of it, is that it's deeper than just face value. Now, there's one example that's really easy to look at. And it's, it's commandment number five. When, he said, when we hear, you shall not murder or you shall not kill. At face value, that's pretty obvious, right? You kill someone, that's bad. Murder is bad. I think we can all agree on that. But Jesus, in this passage, takes it one step farther. He says, You have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, You shall not commit murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you are liable to judgment. And if you call someone Fool, you're liable to the council. I mean, it goes on. You're liable to judgment. You're liable to to a trial, if you, and all of these things. You're, you're even going so far as that, that you're liable to the hell of fire. I mean, it's dire. But it seems strange because Jesus talks about just being angry with someone is the same as committing murder in your heart. Now, whenever I'm talking about this. With confirmation kids, I always sort of joke around. I'm like, well, hey, you know, we all get mad sometimes. You ever gotten mad at your brother or sister? And Inevitably, one of them will say, well, yeah, I got mad at my brother yesterday. And I said, oh, great, you just killed your brother. And then it typically becomes an ongoing joke of, hey, have you killed your brother lately? But that's, jokes aside, this is the depth that Jesus is revealing to us. You have heard that it said, don't kill, duh. But I say to you that anger with someone is just as bad. And in this, we begin to see, we begin to realize, we begin to recognize that sin, brokenness, whatever we want to call it, the flaws of this world, which include the flaws that are a part of us too, are not just about our deeds. They're not just about what we do or don't do. They go way, way deeper than that. And it's in our intentions and it's in our thoughts and it's in our words and all of that. In fact, when I think about this, I'm reminded of something that we do here in my congregation and in my tradition. We do it every single week, and it's called the brief order of confession and forgiveness. And part of it is we say together, corporately, we have sinned against you, being God. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And then it kind of goes on from there. It's this idea of confessing. I can't hide it anymore. I can't get away from it anymore. And I think Jesus knows that. And in every single one of these passages, whether it's one that we're like, well, that sort of makes sense, or we hear it and we're like, oh, that it's kind of close to home. I think we realize that it goes way deeper. And we can't hide from it. Just like me emerging from that hiding spot so the kids could see it, now I can't hide anymore. I think Jesus also recognizes and realizes that when it comes to being honest about our brokenness, we can't hide either. But it is part of the human condition to want to. I mean, when we're honest with ourselves, don't we all do that? When we do something that we know is wrong, when we do something that we know we screwed up, the first thing we wanna do is hide it. We want to avoid it. We don't want to cop up to it because then we have to face the consequences and face the reality that we're not perfect people. But let's face it, none of us are perfect people, are we? If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, which is a great story that we talk about the fall, perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps you're familiar with it, we got these two people, Adam and Eve, and they're in this really cool garden, and everything is great, and the only thing that they have to do is not eat this one particular fruit that God told them not to eat. So what do they do? Basically, immediately, they go eat the fruit. Because of this, they feel shame. And because they feel shame, they recognize that they're naked. And so they sew some weird little fig leaf things and they cover themselves up. And then when God is walking through the garden, they try to hide. I love that passage that they hide from God. Now, I don't believe for a second that God doesn't know exactly where they are. But God cries out, where are you? And Adam and Eve come out and God's like, why are you hiding? And Adam says, I hid because I was ashamed. I knew I was naked and I was ashamed. And God says, "Why? who told you that you were naked? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? Now, Adam can no longer hide his guilt. So he does the next thing that's also part of human nature. And he tries to hide by throwing somebody else under the bus. Well, the woman that you put in here, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And so then God looks at Eve and Eve basically does the same thing. Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It is human nature first to hide our guilt and then to try and blame someone else for it. But the truth that we recognize, the truth that that story tells us and the the truth that I believe all of Scripture continues to reveal to us is that we can't hide from God. We can try and hide from everyone else. We can try and hide the truth from ourselves. But ultimately, we cannot hide. There is nowhere left to hide. And I believe the truth of the gospel, the freedom that we find in the gospel, is recognizing that we don't have to hide. There is a movie scene that I think of that I believe illustrates this very well. The movie is Flight. It came out a few years ago. It's got the great Denzel Washington in it. Now, if you're not familiar with this movie, he is an airline pilot who diverts a, a passenger airplane from having a crash by doing this weird loop-de-loop that actually, in reality, no airplane could actually do. But it's a movie, so go with it. And he does this, and he averts the disaster, but what you find out is what that he had been drinking on duty. He had been drinking in the cockpit. And the whole rest of the movie is him trying to avoid the truth coming out and trying to avoid the consequence. And finally, in a trial, at the end, he can't hide it anymore. He's tired of hiding it, and he comes out and he says, yes, I was drunk when I flew the plane, and you know what? I'm drunk right now. From there, it flashes forward in the very final scene of the movie. Denzel is now in prison as a consequence for what he has owned up to. And he's talking with some of the other inmates, and he says, I may be in jail, but for the first time in my life, I'm free, because he spoke the truth. The gospel tells us that we can tell the truth, that we can be honest, because ultimately we can't hide from God anyway. And the other truth is that we don't have to. I was thinking about all of these passages, all of these statements, some of which, aren't so bad, some of which are difficult, but all of which I believe hold up a mirror to the reality that we can't hide behind anything anymore. And I was talking with some colleagues, some friends of mine, fellow pastors, and one of them really zeroed in on the phrase that Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And my friend pointed out, she says, that phrase, but I say to you, that is the difference between the law and gospel. The law says you have to do this, and we recognize we can't. Jesus shows us you don't have to hide from that anymore because you can't ultimately do it. And that's the truth that is revealed in the gospel. But the glorious promise that is also made is that you don't God knows you cannot ultimately do it. And that's why Jesus came into this world in the first place. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, somehow he has overcome that brokenness on our behalf. And because of that, I don't know how it works, but that's the promise. And through that promise, God says, you are righteous. Remember, that's how this whole thing started in the first place. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious elite, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, guess what? You can't. You don't have to, because God has done it for you. What I appreciate the most about this passage, and what I appreciate the most about Jesus pointing out the depth that brokenness has pervaded our existence, is the promise that God did something about it. There is a story that I think the world says to us, I think those voices in the back of our heads say it. Sometimes we even say it about ourselves. I am not good enough. But Jesus says, I tell you, you are mine. And that is a promise that nothing overcomes. Because when God says it, it's true. The promise of God is that all that brokenness, all that junk, all that stuff that we try and hide, it doesn't matter anymore because God has overcome it on our behalf. That's the promise of the gospel. I'm going to say it one more time. You may think you are not good enough, but God says to you, you